that top is so nice. I can't. I can't even. You're not sponsored yet, but if you if you want to try like secure something, <laughs> I know. I, I, they, they, they'll like it. I, I told them that I'd wear it for the episode, um, and like you know, everyone would love the glazers out sort of style anyway. Um, am I like jumping around a little bit? Like, is there a bit of lag, or is it all right? Uh, add some movement in there. Just pretend you're Wanda Saka running down the wing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, that's not a good Wampasaka impression. But yeah, okay. Um, let's get into it. Uh, episode uh, number one or number two? It depends if we count the pilot as episode zero or not. Um, but here we are, um, the United Cloud show. I think that's what we're going to call it now. Um, I think we went with the United Cloud. Is is Isaac's. the United Cloud? That's that's mm. the executive decision made by the man himself. I just had an outstanding meal. Um, I've got to this thing now. I love like flipping eggs. Like I fry an egg and flip it. I, it, it it's stupid, but to me it was revolutionary. I used to always just scramble. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I have those, and I have like vegetarian sausages, like chorizo ones, if I'm lucky, and then a bit of West Indian spicy sauce and some mango to offset the spice. And uh, just had a bit of that. Now it's great, mate. Are you gonna Are you gonna reveal that you're vegan, right? I don't know if this is I'm, veg- veg- I'm, I'm vegetarian. No, I just telling you about oh. eggs, mate. Uh, no. Oh, no. yeah, shit, bro. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's a, a blunder on my behalf, I can't lie. But yeah. No, don't worry. Everyone, everyone, it's better than getting it wrong completely. I've got one of my mates who just always gets me a sausage roll, and it's like, mate, you know I'm vegetarian, but is what it's it is. It's the thought that counts, um, though, isn't it? It's, it's the intention behind it. It comes yeah, from a good place. And, <laughs> you know, speaking, speaking of which, the intention, that's what I really want to talk about. Uh, with regards to our latest performance, um, you know, moving back on to Manchester United, swiftly. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I was kind of disappointed. I think a lot of United fans are kind of disappointed by the Newport game. Um, I think we expected a little bit more when we saw that team come out. Yeah, I think everyone was craving like a convincing performance and a convincing result. And mm. after the first two goals went in, that's exactly what we thought we were going to get. But... I don't know. Where do you think the 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 problems lied in that in in that twenty minute spell where Newport got back into it? I mean, I I think there's still structural issues. You know, we talked about structural issues quite a lot last week. Um, if anyone listened to that one, but I one of the things we did talk about was Martinez stepping into the second line a little bit. Um, we touched on like the sort of Dalu mate Dalu Mainu Dalo and Mainu sort of switching <laughs> over. <laughs> Dan, we had a, yeah, we, we had um, we had the Schmidfield when we had Schweinsteiger and Schneiderlind. We've had we've had quite a few McFred. Maybe that's a new McFred, one. Yeah. The Dalu. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't mind it. It was, it was nice rotations, and it actually, they obviously did combine for Mainu's goal, yeah. um, which was good. Uh, and I think Dalo and Shaw, especially Dalo in the first half, had quite a lot of um, luxury and freedom with the sort of back five it was clear Newport didn't really know what they were doing and we had a lot of space for the fullbacks to charge into a little bit less of that in the second half uh they did they did improve tactically um but I think what happened to us was very much a case of this team is fragile and we conceded a goal and we always sat back we sat often we invited them onto us having been pretty much more proactive and, and, and dominating the game in the first 35 minutes um I haven't rewatched it yet so I don't know if I We'll go through it uh, and rewatch it again or not. But I do think that, you know, on a rewatch, you'll see that we were 
pretty, you know, uh, we did as we did, but it was a training game for the first 30 minutes and we should have scored five, six, seven, and that would have completely deflated the confidence. But I, I do think it's very likely that, you know, these guys, they've, they've thrown away so many 2-0 two nil, two nil leads. They've thrown away so many commanding positions this season. You can see the goal like that and all of a sudden, bang, you know, your confidence yeah. is shot. Yeah, so we'll get on to the like tactical fragilities and also maybe the mental stuff as well in a moment. Uh, we tried something last week and mm. setting off the podcast with a high-intense uh, section that we call the Gagan Press. And uh, we're going to try it again, but hopefully with more success. I feel like last week's Gagan Press was very... Ralph Ragnick esque. That was this- mate. I wrote. I wrote that down to say that. Are you stolen that? Yeah, I was going to say that. Oh, you nicked it off it me. It felt like you know, the, the Palace match. Oh my Ragnick, god! Yeah. The first one where we pressed for about twenty minutes and then it just fizzled out. Yeah. It, I feel like our section reflected that it wasn't intense enough. So Isaac, um, I will jump straight in. Uh, let's start the Gagan press. Uh, and just a reflection uh, for those that didn't catch last week's podcast. The Gagan Press is a high intense section of conversation where Isaac will speak for a limited amount of time on relevant Manchester United topics, uh, topics that have been chosen based off Isaac's interactions with his posts that have performed in the last week or so. So we've got three uh, topics to bring up today, Isaac, as part of our Gagan Press section. The first one being your post that you did on Dan Ashworth potentially joining Manchester United. Uh, as concisely as possible, Isaac, what are your thoughts on this speculation? I mean, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, we know that Ashworth is committed to Newcastle to the end of the season, so it's going to take his time. Um, but he is arguably the best sporting director in the Premier League at the moment. You know, his CV at Brighton is fantastic. Some of the players he signed that the club were able to flip for a you know, a huge, huge profit. Um, very, very impressive. At Newcastle, he completely raised a level from a, a squad who was, you know, relegation threatened into a team who could compete in the Champions League. Very, very good sporting director. Someone who knows how to make money for the club, sustainable, which is great for FFP. United need to manage that better. Good negotiator by all accounts too. Um, you know, Brighton and Newcastle have both received good money and 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 and, and buy players for good money. So it's something where I think if we can get our hands on him, that's a trans. That's as big as any signing. So Ineos have been been bold with Barada, and I think they'll be even bolder to go and get Ashworth because this would be Newcastle's director of football, huge, huge title. But it would be a fantastic move, and I could see it happening. Could be forming part of an Ineos dream team, higher up in the executive positions. Uh, a player that might be joining to form part of a dream team in the playing squad. Uh, someone that Ashworth might work to um, get into the squad is Jean-Claire Todibo. Uh, obviously, the obvious niece link with Ineos and also the fact that he's, he's, a, he's actually a half-decent centre-back as well. Uh, Isaac, as concisely as possible, what do you make of the Todibo links to Manchester United? And that was very smooth. That was a good transition, by the way. Um, but I would say, I think Todibo is a player who a lot of fans have slept on. Um, you know, he had a bit of a up and down career in that he's made the move to Barcelona. He looked like he was going to be, you know, next big thing at Barcelona. Went to Nice. It's worked out very well lately. You know, nice is doing really well in Liga in this season. I think he's a player that quite a lot of our fans think could maybe even do a job at right back uh, or at least play in, a, in, in, the, in the settled back three in a 3-2 or 3-1 build-up system. So, 
he's someone who can probably play centre back or right back in, in in the modern sort of setup. I think it would be an interesting tactical signing. I think on the premise that United are likely to to lose one of Varane or Maguire in the next few windows, and the fact that we had so many defensive injuries, it definitely makes sense to go and go and sign a player of his caliber. Um, it might even be the case that he's a Wambasaka replacement. I don't think Ten Hag's team is quite there yet, but interesting. Well, that's some interesting insight there. I wouldn't have thought that his profile would suit right back, but at the same time, you know, a lot of you know Man City are the example, playing with mm. practically centre backs in full back positions to as part of their build up structure. Uh, moving on to our final seg- uh, topic for this segment, uh, we spoke a lot about Ineos and their uh, dealings with with the last two topics, but. Ineos themselves might actually end up getting more control than we first expected. And that was one of your high-performing posts, Isaac. Uh, what do you make of that? What's the context that you can give on that as well? Yeah, so essentially it's been reported that Ineos um, will have a say over matters that are not just football. Um, and this makes a lot of sense because fundamentally... When when you buy Manchester United, it's a it's a football club, which is a business and a football club, right? So there's two sides. No other football club other than Manchester United seems to function in that sort of on those sort of parameters. Everyone else seems to have everything on the same page. And Eric Ten Hag himself has spoken about how everyone needs to be in it together. If you want to win trophies, we're all united. It didn't really make much sense and was one of the main sticking points of any Ineos deal that there wouldn't be enough cohesion if you've got Ineos in charge of football and the Glazers in charge of everything else because fundamentally everything else will relate to football and will impact the on-pitch performance. So for me, it, it was just... It was just a very logical bit of news. It's from The Athletic, from Adam Crafton, and I believe endorsed by Laurie Whitwood and David Ornstein. Um, but it, it's it's something where it needed to happen. Otherwise, there would have been serious questions about this deal, about this takeover still. I think it solves quite a lot of those problems. And for me, it was one of the biggest bits of news of the week. So very happy to hear about that. I feel like the Glazers finally had the penny drop in their head where it was like, Oh, so you're telling me that success on a football pitch relates to more money? And like Ratcliffe finally drilling that into their heads. Surely that's a good thing. Hopefully moving forward, there's more cohesion, like you said. So Isaac, I think that was a lot more intense than last week's episode. Uh, you've mm. successfully uh, played yourself out of the Gagan press. If we're no, I know. I feel like Ten Hag at the moment. You, know, you can see what he's trying to do. They're trying to bait the press and switch the play and... I guess we should switch the play over to you again now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we'll move into the next... Mate, these segues are so smooth. I know, I know. I, I, I know, it's lie. crazy. So, we're, getting, we're getting there, yeah. we're getting there. <laughs> yeah, that was the end of the Gagan press. And we'll go into the next section, which is the more uh, nuanced discussion. Uh, and we will talk about you know nuanced tactics. That's something that we'll explain in just a moment. I just wanted to touch on... Um, Something that's quite relevant right now at the time of recording. Obviously, Rashford missed the Newport fixture um, for not the most um, legitimate reason, shall we say. Uh, And then today he's in Carrington and his agent, also his brother Dwayne, was pictured in Carrington as well. In what seems like, you know, quite big talks with the club. Isaac, I just wanted to get your opinion on the Rashford situation. Do you feel disappointed? What do you think will happen next? Yeah, it's it is slightly disappointing. Um, you know, I, I think 
I have got absolutely no issue with what Marcus Rashford does in his free time. Um, I've got no issue if he's going to go out clubbing in, 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 in Belfast. You know, that was not really the issue. The issue is when it affects his Manchester United performance. And obviously here now, you know, he couldn't go to training. He was ill. Whether that was related or not doesn't really matter because, you know, the footage was there of him being in a nightclub the day before. And look, I, I, I do think there's a bit of a witch hunt on Rashford and, Everyone knows, really, everyone listening will certainly know that I've been a big defender of Rashford this season. And, you know, he's got a lot of credit in the bank from last year. And I think he's clearly struggling with a few things off the pitch. Not entirely sure what they are, but you can tell that he's not completely in the right frame of mind. And I do think that, you know, as fans, we have to remember that our first job is, is to be supporters, right? And we've got to support him. And he's a player who has delivered for us in the past. So I'm very, very much like in the defend Rashford camp. But he's not making it easy for himself. And like, you know, he's inviting criticism by doing this, isn't he? And it's it is it isn't unacceptable, really. I feel I feel the same way, mate. Um in terms of his footballing mm. ability, uh, I don't really buy into the, the talk of his um of his passion on the pitch and him not running. I feel like there's a lot more nuance in that discussion. Like you mentioned yourself, like he's a player that's allowed to cheat out of possession because he's one of our most exciting uh, players going forward on a counter-attack. So there's a reason why, you know, when he's doing well, he's he's doing the same things as when he's doing not so well in that he's cheating out of possession and, and so on. But in terms of his football, I'm actually quite a big defender, like you said, but I don't know, this one really got to me. Um, the the yeah. moment where he didn't he turn up for, for training, it really got to me and I... I feel very let down and I feel like there's a lot of hardcore United fans, even like the ones that will back Rashford the whole way, that have been feeling really let down from this moment and whether they're looking at it as if like this might be a turning point in his Man United career for the worse. Yeah, I don't know. If you remember if you remember when he overslept and didn't report to training against Wolves, uh, before the game against Wolves, ironically, we've got Wolves next last time. Um, Ten Hag then subbed him on and he, and he scored a great goal and won the game. Uh, so, you know, maybe he could do the same thing again. But I, I do think that it's it, it gets to the point where you, you've got to recognise you're the highest earner at the club, I think, or you know, one of the top three earners at the club. Um, we've seen what happened to Ronaldo, what happened to Sancho. Like, there's been behaviour that's been dealt with harshly by the manager. You've got to set an example now. And, you, you know, he, I, I, I don't want to... There's two different camps that I don't want to go into. The first of those camps is the sort of Roy Keane, like, oh, you know, you're a senior player now. Like, I, I think people still make mistakes, right? And I, I, you, you, can, you can make mistakes in, a, in your personal life that can affect your football performance. I think people forget, you know, you're still, you're still young guys learning your way when you're a footballer, right? So I, I, I'm, I'm happy to have a bit of slack for, for a few errors here and there. And the same would have applied to Sancho. He just didn't apologise. Then the other side of the, the other camp I don't want to fall into is the like, oh, you know, if we were in George Best's era, no one would even bat an eyelid at this because we're not in George Best's era anymore. You know, football is inherently more professional now. Yes, if it was George Best, it's a completely different situation, but you can't, you, you know, there's standards to uphold. And um, the question I've got for you, mate, actually, on this uh, is like, what do you think the players do in the dressing room? Like, how do you think Bruno Fernandes as a captain is? approaching this situation because there's been so many instances of bad behavior from Manchester United players how do the how do the guys in the dressing room how do their colleagues approach the situation do you think we haven't really heard too much about that to be honest 
I think it's difficult with Marcus. I mean, it's if Alejandro Garnacho was to be doing this, I feel like there'd be a lot more talking to him and guiding him, maybe like a few harsh words. But realistically, in terms of the dynamics of the dressing room, who's stepping up to Rashford and telling him how it is? Mm. Can you see anyone in that dressing room having that conversation with Marcus? Like he's, he, he, in his eyes, thinks he's Mr. Manchester United. He's... He's the mank born and bred, gold scorer, talisman for the club. So I, I don't really see anyone stepping up to him and, and challenging him in that regard. And I feel like yeah. that might be um, a bit of spillover from the era we had with Ollie and Ragnick where it felt like a completely dysfunctional dressing room where no one was managing the dressing room. And I feel like there still might be some some spillover from that era in that regard. Yeah, no, that does, that is, that is true. And I, especially when you are Rashford and you're, you're, you are somebody who is part of that senior leadership group and you're doing this, it is difficult. We had, we had the same with Ronaldo. Like Ronaldo, there was, there was absolutely no one to keep Ronaldo in check, right? Um, Sancho is slightly different and he was very much subdued. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to like, this is not a podcast where I want to make outlandish claims or speculate or anything, but I don't know how, how Rashford would have dealt with a Sancho fallout. Like, I don't know whether that's impacted on his, on his behaviour at all. And I don't want to like, make any sort of assumption or accusation that that's the case. But I think having so many disciplinary issues within a dressing room in such a short period of time, when things on the pitch aren't going very well, as you can't just hide behind that, it is difficult. And I do imagine it's quite a lot of dissonance um, that, 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 that has to be kept under wraps. And, you know, who knows what would have happened if the videos of Rashford and the nightclub didn't resurface on the internet. Moving swiftly on, uh, we'll talk more about the football, uh, which is, at this point, a dysfunctional topic as well. Uh, and I wanted to introduce the, the Ten Hag system that uh, Isaac alluded to in our previous episode. So me and Isaac, the context behind this is me and Isaac had a, a conversation in a coffee shop and we were trying to think of a legitimate way of ranking players under Eric Ten Hag. And we've sort of categorised four key areas of ranking a footballer under Eric Ten Hag. Uh, these four areas being uh, the physical uh, element of a player, the mental element of a player, tactical and technical area of a player. And we wanted to rank players, whether that's in our current squad or players that Ten Hag might potentially sign, uh, looking at these four areas and giving them giving the player a rating of 1 to 10 hugs. Uh, that's the little <laughs> gimmick there. Uh, so, you know, say, for example, one one Bissaka, as an example, in his technical proficiencies. Isaac, what would you rate him out of oh. 1 to 10 hugs? I'm sort of throwing you under, under the bus here, but... <laughs> oh, it certainly wouldn't be 10 hugs. Um, <laughs> I don't know, probably like a 6. <laughs> Uh, that, I think that's generous, but um, that's that's ba the basic premise. And we wanted to sort of introduce this premise into a slightly more nuanced topic of conversation. That being uh, something that isn't really talked about, and we're not sure why, when discussing systems and tactics in general. And that is the preferred foot and the ability of a player on their weak foot and how it impacts a team's tactics, a team's setups, and 
a lot of chemistry between different footballers on the pitch. So with that context in mind, Isaac, I thought it'd be a good exercise to go through the Man United squad and specifically single out their ability on their weak foot and see how much it limits Ten Hag's uh, system and style Mm. of play and also introduce elements of the Ten Hag uh, rating scale at the same time. Does that sort of make sense, mate? Are you, are you sort yeah, of yeah no, that's, the... that's a really fun exercise. Let's do it. Right, okay. So, starting from the back of the pitch, I guess there's not really much that can be said. I mean, you can give it your best go. Uh, Onana, in terms of his angles that he can play off his left or off his right foot, what, what do you think about it? Okay, well, I want to start with the Ten Hag system. Technically, Onana... He's Ten Hag, mate. That's 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 Ten Hag right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, look, he's, he can use his left foot. He can use his left foot very well. And we've seen that. And that was, you know, the significant reason why we signed him, I think. Um, I, I, look, we've not seen enough of Onano on the ball. We haven't seen... The, the system hasn't always been there to get the real best out of him in possession. Um, I think if United had a functional build-up, which we, there's a whole plethora of reasons why we don't, I think we would have seen much more from Onana and would have seen that technically he is excellent. He can use his weak foot very well. He's got a lot of angles available to him. He's also very good under pressure. He can relieve the pressure. He can switch the ball back onto his strong foot using his weak foot to manipulate it. He's a he's, he's very two-way player. So I've got no concern about Onana's ability on the ball um, concerning his weak foot. So in the tactical slash technical aspects, which this section is completely focusing on, uh, Isaac ranks Onana... Ten hogs. Ten hogs. Ten hogs. Straight off the bat, yeah. he's yeah. got ten hogs. Uh, moving into the centre back positions, uh, we're going to start with, let's say, Rafa Varane. What mm-hmm. do you think his angles? He's a, he's a predominantly right footed uh, centre back. Ten Hag seems to have a problem playing him on the left. With that being said, he has operated him off the left a couple of times this season. Uh, what do you think of his? proficiencies off his weak foot and the angles that it allows us to play with i actually i actually do not really understand like why ten Hag doesn't like doesn't like baran on the left um he he is very good at receiving and distributing on his left foot i i think it's the way that he kind of brings a ball forward on his left foot where that maybe you don't get the same strength as when he's bringing it forward on his right i don't know if it's anything to do with his technique when carrying um, maybe it's something to do with his reception, but I've always found that Varane's pretty good with both his feet. I think statistically, um, he's like he did, he uses his left foot quite a lot um, compared to other centre backs. Uh, so it quite, that whole narrative did sort of surprise me. I suppose I, I I would just segue onto a couple of other defenders. When you go on to like Johnny Evans, for example, that guy is so two footed, so so two footed. So you can kind of see why Ten Hag likes that. He likes what he brings to the team. So. I'd probably say in terms of weak foot, if you ask what we're going to do it, Johnny Evans probably gets a 10 hog on the system. Um, now, Varane, <laughs> I don't want to give him a low score on this, you know, technically. I, I do think that he has something, you know, redeemable there. Maybe his distribution on his left foot over longer distances isn't quite as good as it is on his right. Um, he doesn't seem to switch the play as much on his left foot as he does with his right either. And the sort of carrying thing is, is also important. So maybe I'm giving him like a six or a seven, but I don't think that it's a as big an issue is made out, I genuinely, I don't want to gossip again, but I genuinely think there's something else going on, which is why Varane wasn't playing. I mean, he's there now, so no complaints, but yeah. 
When it, when it comes to this uh, topic of conversation, I think it's important. I know I did say rate Rafa Varane, but it's important to talk about it in terms of combinations. So the mm. centre-back combination and the angles that they allow you to play with. I think, I mean, the most evident way of explaining it is uh, if you look at Harry Maguire, under Oli, he was playing left centre-back and then Ten Hag decided he doesn't like the angles that Maguire gives him playing left centre-back and he moved him straight onto the right. I feel like, combination-wise, Johnny Evans is probably the most adaptable centre-back we have where he can play left and right without losing, without it being to the detriment of any angles that we have in possession. Because, you know, I think Johnny Evans playing left centre-back, for example, very capable of slipping it into central positions to the six, whether that's Maynou or Casemiro. He's also very capable of playing a diagonal to the right wing. Saw that um, Bruno Fernandes' volley, I forgot who we, he scored that against, but he's very Burnley, capable yeah. of doing that. And then he's also capable of just playing it you know, down the line. When you have um, Lissandra Martinez in that position, I feel like he offers, again, every sort of pass possible. I feel like the right-hand side... Um, of our pitch, uh, not just centre-back, right-hand side and right-back, that's where the angles become a lot more limited. And it feels like we have a lot of repetitive patterns in that area. And I guess that pushes me on to right-back. Uh, then repetitive p- patterns being that I feel like our right-centre-back and right-back combination don't seem to have enough angles that gives us a good progression down that side. In terms of Wambisaka and Dallow, and their proficiencies on their weak foot and the angles that they allow us to play. What would you say about that discussion and that comparison between yeah. the two players? Um, well, I think, you know, people, the Wambasaka Dallow thing is one of the biggest debates, and it's one that I've been sucked into and I haven't really wanted to be the whole time because I I do prefer Dallow. Everyone kind of knows that I've got a bit of a soft spot for him. But but when you actually look at Wambasaka's qualities, you know, he, he, he is someone who can offer us quite a lot. However, I think he's one of the most misunderstood players in our in our squad, uh, but even by those who, who don't rate him and by those who do. Um, I would say that in build-up, he's actually pretty good under the press, but he's, his left foot isn't really there. He's not, he's not playing the sort of reverse passes on his weaker foot like Dallow is. Um, and I think that Dallow has significantly more angles available to him um, in terms of he's got a lot, he, he can pass the ball longer than Wambasaka. You know, he's got better passing range. He can use his left foot, left foot, as I say. Um, like Wambasaka is actually capable under the pressure, and he can. He's pretty decent uh, slipping the ball down the line and everything like that. Dallow can also do that. Um, I think the the angles you get with Dallow are significantly better than Wambasaka, and that's why Ten Hag prefers playing Dallow, uh, and it has done. You know, when even when both players are fit. So I, I just wanted to take. I just wanted to touch on the the choice of words there that you used, Isaac. When you talk mm. about Dallow and his angles, you're very much saying his passing angles. He's capable of passing it, switching it, and then for Wambisaka, you use the word slipping it down the line. And I think mm. that very much summarizes the two the difference in the two. I feel like, like you said, Wambisaka is very capable when he's getting pressed. He's very good at reacting. He's got good acceleration. Weirdly. Like weirdly decent ball manipulation at keeping it away yeah. from the press, but like it looks very unconventional when you're looking at it. But it's actually pretty effective. Um, yeah, I think that summarizes the difference between the two very well. Uh, and then 
we'll flip it over to the oh before we do that uh, I want a rating in terms of Dallow's Dallow's technical skills on the Ten Hag scale and and Wambasaka's as well. Well, I said Wambasaka six earlier, and I think that's about right. I think under the right system, he could be a, like the perfect technical player for what you want, but it's definitely not for Ten Hag's system. Um, you know, you need he needs more angles and more range from his right back. Uh, it's from his full backs in general. Dallow, I think I'll give a nine. I think he's probably not. He's got all the technique, technical ability. Um, you know, he's shown that he has got it in his repertoire to do exactly what Ten Hag wants from him in terms of passing the ball. And he also kind of bringing it inside as well. Um, but he maybe not quite consistent enough in that technique yet. But I think he will get there as he as he, as he develops more. He's only, you know, he's still young. So, yeah, I'd say Dallow at nine, Wambasaka six on that scale. Perfect. And we've only got really one left back to talk about. Malassia has been out pretty much for the entire season and Regulon was loaned in. Only to be cut short, well, not not advanced further. So, in terms of Luke Shaw, I think he's one of our best technical players uh, in that regard. That's what I'd say. Isaac, what are your thoughts of Luke Shaw on the tactical and technical aspects of his game and his weak foot and the angles that it allows him? Well, I do think when when Ten Hag came in. Shaw was nowhere near as good as he is now on his weak foot. I mean, I don't know if you count what he did against Newport as an assist for Anthony, but that was on his weak foot. Um, and Shaw, Shaw was much more reluctant to use his right. Uh, you know, it gave, him, it gave him some technical issues in terms of inverting, whereas Malassia, who we've not seen this season, but Malassia's right foot is, is pretty decent and, he, you know, he's good at receiving on it. He can carry on it inside, so he's great at inverting. Um, whereas I think Shaw, you know, he doesn't need to really use his, his, his right foot as much. He's definitely got that outside of the boot pass on lock, which gives him a few more angles again. Um, I, I think Shaw's brilliant. I think Shaw's our, one of our, probably our top three most technical players in the team um, in terms of the range of passes he's got at his disposal, the way that he can carry the ball, um, you know, the way that he can evade a press as a result of that and, you know, where he can use his body to get in front as well. I really like Luke Shaw. I think he's brilliant. Um, I, I think on the Ten Hag scale, he can't quite be a ten because his 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 right foot isn't quite as good as some of the other top top left backs, um, and that would probably be something more important to Ten Hag. But maybe nine and a half, nine and a Eric nine and a half Hag will we'll say for Luke Shaw. <laughs> Perfect. I just wanted to again pick out something there you said yeah. about the outside the foot pass and how it sort of mitigates the like, effectiveness of the right foot like it can usually if you've got that in your locker it makes you a more effective player in terms of the angles that you can play just based off the the way the ball leaves your foot it sort of mimics how it would leave your foot if you kicked it with your right as like an in-swinger so that's a very good point there that you mentioned Isaac uh, moving further up the pitch uh, just in terms of midfielders uh, Casemiro and Kobe Mainu, um because they're the two sixes that seem to be competing with each other. What do you make of them and the angles that they can play in midfield? Well, I like them as a pairing <laughs> to start off with. I, I think it can work a lot better. Um, against Newport, we saw Mainly probably a bit too high. I uh, would like them deeper with Casemiro to help him out because Casemiro does need help. Um, I think with his back to goal, there's, there's issues. Again, look, we're looking at different categories now because comparing a, the role of a six to the role of a fullback or a centre-back, it's very different. Even if you have got a fullback inverting next to a six, a six has got to, has got to receive the ball in different circumstances under different amounts of pressure, especially when, from goal kicks and, and, and build-up. So... I think Casemiro is prone to rushing it too much. I think he likes a nice uh, smash down the middle. He likes his progressive passing a lot. 
um, at the start of the season, he was just spamming the ball forward the whole time, um, which, you know, it can be effective. You, you do get a lot of progressions from Casemiro, but his retention is is very bad, um, very, very bad, uh, even at the better times. And I think you need someone next to him to mitigate that. Now, I think I'm not somebody who thinks that Casemiro's like not got the redeemable qualities to make it worthwhile keeping him in the team, not least the intangibles, you know, his leadership, his experience, very important for us. But uh, I certainly am concerned that he 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 does struggle sort of under the under the press um, when he's when he's got the ball square when he's got it with his back to goal. It's a difficult one. I don't mind his passes around the corner first time. I think you know he has got that on lock and he's done that quite a lot uh, throughout his career. Just laying it back first time, he's pretty good. Kind of extending his extending his knee and laying the ball forward like almost like a ping. Uh, I quite like that when he does that. Um, but yeah, he's he's probably not quite secure enough in terms of accurately finding his man. I think you, you alluded to combinations and having someone next to Casemiro that increases the angles that we can play from deeper positions from our six and our eight uh, that play in midfield. I think last year when we were at our most effective, it was Ericsson that sort of opened up that possibility. He had switches, he had passes through the line into uh, Bruno Fernandes, Fred at times receiving it in the half spaces. Uh, is it well, clearly Ericsson isn't fancied as much as he was last year? Can Manu be that player that can develop these sort of passes into his game? I don't see any reason why not. I think Manu's got the world at his feet. Um, you know, he's he's a brilliant talent, and his range of passing that he's displayed already is really good. Um, I don't think he's as naturally two footed as Ericsson might be. Um, and you know, he's obviously got a lot to learn in terms of a selection of pass. You know, when 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 are you going to stab it forward? I mean, he's so mature already, but you know, still, he's a young player with with so much to learn. I, I certainly want to see Manu get the sort of balance between carrying and passing right and start carrying it a bit more because um, he is a very good carrier. He's someone who's very good at using his body and his low sensor of gravity. Um, yeah, I think Manu's a different player to Ericsson, certainly, because different dynamics, different answers, different solutions. Um, I think he can be better than Ericsson was. Uh, you know, I think he's I think he's a brilliant talent. But um, that's a huge compliment because Ericsson one of the finest midfielders of the generation, for sure. Um, but... You know, I, I do I do think that it's something where we're going to have to give him time to develop. And yes, he's a huge, huge positive for us now. Massive net positive. Very few weaknesses actually in his game. But it's just it's just what can he do? How can he develop? And I'm really excited to see what we can see from Maynou. Um Where would you put Maynou on the 10 hog scale? 10? Uh, see, I feel like you've set the bar quite high. When you started off with Onana as a 10 out of 10 on the 10 hog scale, I was like, oh, mm. that's going to... So in terms of that... If we're, if we're going off what we've said so far, it'd have to be in the nines right now. I think he's very proficient receiving it um, off both feet, off any angle, which really pumps him up on the on the rating scale. Uh, I feel like what's holding him back right now, and obviously, like you said, he's a very young player that's still got a lot to develop and he's very mature already, is just the angles in terms of passing it forward. Uh, we... Mm-hmm. we we see him make the sensible decision more often than he makes uh, an out-there decision like a Bruno Fernandes. And at times, that's what we need, especially when we have Bruno in the midfield with him. But I'd like to see him just push that balance slightly where he's you know, 60% sensible, 40% you know, trying yeah, something, yeah. trying to break a line. Uh, because I think that's where 
the world-class midfielders in this position sit at, where they're doing 60% sensible passes and then 40% of the time they're, they're trying to progress the ball further up the pitch. And I think, if I'm honest, you'll definitely get there, in my opinion. Uh, but at this stage, I'd rate Kobe Menu a 9 out of 10 hug. Very nice, so, very nice. Isaac, we're going to move into the second half of the pitch. And I'm very aware when we're talking about the first half of possession, uh, we're talking about players progressing the ball. In the second half of the pitch, when we're talking about weak foot and angles, we're often talking about how they receive the ball and the angles that they can sort of get it on the half turn and play it forward. Uh, a person that can help visualise that is Mason Mount. Uh, I feel like when you envision Mason Mount as a footballer, it's all about how he receives the ball, what angles he gets to pass, and how he quickly converts that into an attacking chance. Uh so that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the front section of the pitch and angles and weak foot. Uh, so let's start exactly where I just mentioned, in Mason Mount. Uh, what do you rate him on the 10 hard scale in terms of tactical and technical proficiency? I think he's a 10 out of 10. Um, and we have, it's, it's, it's so unfortunate because we've not seen him. Um, but I think he can receive the ball in either half space very well. He can receive it in the wide areas. He's good at using his body. He's physical. He's strong. He's quick. Um, you know, decently. Um, we just simply haven't seen it from Mason Mount because he's not been fit. And then when he has been fit, he's not he's not adapted. He's not been confident. He's not been playing in teams which are confident and even adapted themselves. So, yeah, it's like really undesirable characteristics, uh, you know, for the environment which Mason Mount's been in. But I think he's got the potential to be somebody who can do exactly what Ten Hag wants. Um, he can do exactly what most managers want, to be fair, which is why most managers in his career have absolutely loved him. Um He's a really good player. Uh, I'm really excited to see how he can how he can come back into this team now. But um, in terms of receiving, in terms of slipping the ball with his weak foot down the, down the channels, um, you know, in the half spaces, how good he is on the turn, using his body, you know, to receive on both feet. He's a ten out of ten for me, and I, I, I you know, as I say, it's a big shame we don't see more of him. So, with that. You've, you mentioned that he's good off both half spaces, but when we've seen him play, he has often mm. been playing with a Bruno Fernandes. And Bruno Fernandes is a player that sort of, he goes where he wants. And I guess that is one fair criticism you can give to Bruno, where you know he probably doesn't take into account another player playing in, in between the lines and he doesn't complement them perfectly. But in terms of receiving it, I think we'll... We can sort of gloss over this unless you disagree with me, but Bruno is a 10 out of 10 technically in yeah. most departments. Yeah, I'm more interested in them two as a combination and how they can function in an effective way because we haven't seen that when they have played. What do you think we need when they do play again to be an effective duo? Do you know what? I've got absolutely no idea. Because it doesn't make, like, I don't know what Ten Hag actually wants Fernandez to do. Because I view Fernandez as a man to give the final ball, to receive it in between the lines, as we've said, in the same way that Mount might, and to slip it in behind and to pick that final pass. I and mean, I think that's what Bruno's so good at. I saw the way that Bruno was playing against Newport. Okay, albeit it was a slight, you know, it's a new midfield. He picked Maynou and, and Casemiro with Fernandez. So it was the first time that we'd seen that sort of combination. You know, Matt's not even in the picture at the moment. Um, and Fernandez was really deep, like comparatively. And I think he had him as a sort of conductor. And I remember 
there was a spell of games, I think around March last year, and we needed to get a few wins and we and we, we upped the intensity, intensity a little bit. And we beat Brentford at home in one of those games. And uh, Fernandez played a midfield, like quite withdrawn midfield position um, alongside Casemiro. And he was, he was pretty good. You know, he was a bit of a conductor. He was spraying the ball everywhere. He showed his complete you know, technical, technical excellence uh, in the evening under pressure. He, you know, he manipulated the press very well. Passing range was brilliant. His accuracy was really high. You know, he wasn't going for the killer pass every time. He can do it. But I think unless you're getting the absolute best out of Mason Mount, there's no point wasting Bruno Fernandes in that capacity. He's the best, he's one of the best number 10s, like a pure number 10 in terms of someone to pick the final pass received between the lines in the world. Um, you know, he's proven that with his 130 goal contributions in 290 since he's been at the club. Um, yeah, stat that I saw today because it's his fourth year anniversary uh, this week. Um, look, I, 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 I don't really know, but for me, the way that I could potentially see it working is almost Casemiro as a six, Fernandez as the eight, Mount as a 10 sort of in terms of like how far they're going to be. I do want to see fluidity between Mount and Fernandez. I think both of them can be equally impactful in each half space. And I, 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 I remember at the start of the season, it was quite rigid with, with one on each side. Well, like you said, respectfully, they haven't played too much with each other. Uh, when they have, it has been a bit catastrophic. Uh, I keep thinking back to the Wolves match. Uh, where it was Fernandez Mounts and Casemiro just looking stranded every time Wolves got the ball, but again I feel like hopefully with chemistry, you know at times in the match we can see Mount drop into the eight and Bruno receive it higher up the pitch, and then vice versa depending on where the op- opposition's weaknesses lie. So hopefully with time we can see them develop a good chemistry in that regard, and I feel like the most effective Manchester United will be when them two sort of develop that chemistry and, and create a good balance. So hopefully we get that. Uh, moving on into left and right wing, which seems to be a, an area of the pitch that we've seemed to never get right in terms of mm. balance. I mean, it's been 10 years since we've had... Well, Antonio Valencia maybe was our last natural right winger that was consistent in terms of the angles that he'd give you. You knew what you'd get when you'd pass the ball over to Antonio Valencia. Out of the right wingers we have now, whether we're playing Rashford there, Garnacho there, Anthony, uh, we don't really know consistently what we're going to get from them when we when we deploy them there. What do you think the best winger combination is in terms of receiving the ball uh, that we can currently deploy? I think uh, Anthony cannot use his right foot to strike the ball, but he can sort of receive on it. But his his way and Anthony and the reason why Ten Hag signed Anthony um, and the reason why he likes him so much as a player is because he is so secure controlling a football. You can use his he can use his left boot in so many different ways, which almost mitigates the fact that he hasn't got his right boot. He can he can he can take it on his on the sole of his foot. He can take it on the outside of his foot. There's a way that he can receive the ball. Look at his touch against Newport, where it was kind of like hoisted forward. He just brings it down. Anthony's touch and like his ability to receive is pretty good. Um, I, I do trust that part of his game. That's the only part of Anthony's game. When the ball's coming into him, any angle, I trust him to receive it well. So this is where um, people will, will clip you. And people are going to clip me, yeah. Anthony's biggest fan. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. 
Yeah, it's a shame. Uh, it's a shame that I think, you know, people have to go so, like, absolutely, like, Anthony's rubbish and, and that's final. Yeah, look, Anthony's not been good enough for us. I'm not going to sit here and defend him. And if anyone's going to take money from him in the summer, 30 million, 40 million, I'd be my guest. But he has got some redeemable qualities on the pitch. And, and that, that is one of them. The easy can receive the ball, uh, you know, pretty well. Uh, I, I, I think that's why Ten Hag wanted him for that technical sort of security. Um, and I think there were points last season where United actually missed Anthony's technical security on the right wing. Um, it was important for us. Rashford's first touch is great when he's in behind. He's not the best in sort of like rest, like rest possession, but yeah, no real problem with Rashford in terms of that. And again, it's kind of what we spoke about earlier on. I'm, I'm happy for him to be a sort of luxury player whereby you deploy him really, really high. You get him running off the striker and, and you work with it from there. So yeah, pretty, pretty happy with that. Garnacho, I think, still has to work on, 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 on his left foot a little bit, but he is very good on both sides. I think, I think, Right wing Garnacho was something of a revelation. Um, I think it is somewhere between 94 and 97% of the games this season. The big six teams in the Premier League and Newcastle have deployed a left footed right winger. So there is there is questions about, you know, wow. the direction of football in terms of the angles you receive in the half space and stuff. Is it right? But I do quite like Garnacho on the right. Well, that's a, that's a mad stat. And it's mm. one that you, you, you can see. Uh, Team Riyad Mahrez, uh, the combination play between him, Bernardo Silva, uh, Kevin De Bruyne in Man City's most successful time. It was always the angles that he'd create to either reverse it to someone making an underlap, or you know pass it back to De Bruyne, or reverse it to someone making an overlap. So, like you said, the angles of a left footer on the right very important to uh, the system that Ten Hag's trying to play. And then in terms of left winger, you mentioned uh, Rashford and Garnacho. So in them three players, what would you rate them if you go through them on the Ten Hag scale? Oh, this is why I have question marks about the Ten Hag scale, because I love it. I, I think it can work, but I, I, I don't know. I think within certain contexts, Rashford is a 10. In other contexts, he's like a three or four, like in terms of in terms of where he's receiving and like what sort of system and game state we're in and also how confident he is because he is quite inconsistent in his technique based on his confidence and his assertion when taking the ball. A confident Rashford, using the right context, is a nine or a 10 on the 10 hard scale. Um, but but he can also be a two on a three. And this point this season, he's had games where he's been like that. It's difficult to pin it really down with Marcus Rashford as much as I wish it was a bit easier. Um, Garnacho, I'd say, has potential to be a nine or a 10, but is currently around a seven or an eight. Um, and Anthony needs to work on his weak foot, but I'd say it's probably a nine uh, just because he is so secure in receiving it. But look, it's again. I don't want to go like I don't want to be. This is where I have problems with the ten hog system, right? If we're going to use technical, like there's so much more to the technical side. If Anthony's like, like in the most in the most simple terms, if Anthony's kicking the ball himself, it's not as high. It's like a it's like a five. Like it's, it's but it balloons what off. What does his that boot. mean, Isaac? <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry, this is like really difficult. Um, it's difficult. The fence uh, in is. Is it is hurting me here? Anthony, Anthony <laughs> nine on the ten hog scale in terms of technical and tactical. It's difficult to hear, but I understand your rational reasoning. But I'm also putting myself in the shoes of like every fan that has been watching Man United this season, and they're punching the air listening to you saying this. So like, my 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 brother, like, my brother would strangle me. Like he hates it. <laughs> um, but I I I think I think I think. When he's like, when the ball's coming into him, when he's receiving it, he's good at that. He's secure. He can receive the ball. 
he, his technique in kicking the ball, his actual striking technique, his ball striking technique is is, is not there. Um, okay. You know, we see what he does. Like he he's he, he's got like his technique in sort of curling it with his, you know, with his inside of his foot is not 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 awful, um, but it's not very accurate. The technique's not awful. His technique doing most other things when actually kicking the ball leaves a lot to be desired. I'd, be, I'd like to see Anthony, you know, work on a Traveller. I'd like to see Anthony work on, like, striking his foot through it. He's shown that he can do that. Think about his goal against Barcelona, for example. I think he's such an incomplete technical player. It's honestly like when you get these young wingers and they just haven't got end product in the championship. Um, I think the reason why Anthony's a Premier League player, not a championship player, is because he is so secure in receiving the ball. And people obviously don't give him credit for that. He is press resistant. He can receive, he can use his body fairly well. He needs yeah. to beef up a bit more, obviously, so he can beat someone around the outside. He's got so many weaknesses in his game. He's such an incomplete, imperfect player. But in terms of receiving the ball, I've got no real issue with him. Um, I think that's what he can do well. So, yeah, that's my that's my thoughts on him. So, before we get cancelled for saying Anthony's half-decent, uh, we'll move into the striker position. I do, I do understand your, your rationale. I don't think he's half-decent. I don't think it's half... Half decent maybe is too far, but he's got some <laughs> redeemable qualities. <laughs> right, okay. Don't worry, don't worry, Isaac. They'll still come for you regardless of what you say. So don't worry, mate. We'll move on to Rasmus Hoyland, which is hopefully a less controversial player at this point in his Man United career. We'll see where we are in one year's time. But right now, Isaac, obviously a left-footed player. Uh, he likes running the channels. I feel like there's a lot to be desired and a lot to be known in the angles he takes shots at. Because honestly, Ooh. watching this first few months at Manchester United, you know, I, I don't really know what his Erasmus Hoyland shot is. Something that I want to reference is uh, Romelu Lukaku. Whether he was effective or not, you knew the style of shot that he can take. Um, I, the big example is Thierry Henry. You know, he's got that finish. Mbappe's got that finish where he opens it up and knocks it on the post. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rasmus Hoyland, you, you can you can go through loads of players and and sort of sig- symbolize what are their favorite types of shots are. Right now, Rasmus Hoyland, I, I don't know what to expect, mate. Can you care to enlighten me? Um, if I was someone watching this podcast, if I'd made it to fifty minutes and I was someone like almost hate watching this, or I was watching this as someone who was a pure football fan, you know. Who, who, who has a cup of tea every morning. No, no, I have a cup of tea every morning, pretty much. But he has a cup of tea every morning, and he, he goes to Old Trafford all the time, and he, he's very much like, you know, no messing around football football, right? I would think we're both a bunch of idealistic nerds who, who like our <laughs> ideas, right? And, but one of these idealistic, nerdy ideas that I really want to come true is that Rasmus Hoyland can smash it in the near post at the top of the net, like he did against Tottenham. That's what yeah. I want a Rasmus Hoyland finish to be. And that's what the that's what the idealist in me sees as a Rasmus Hoyland finish. Like a near post, um, you know, unsavable shot like that. That, that. that he's done that a couple of times in his career. But it was some there was something he did when he was playing in Austria. And I think there was one in, in, in Atalanta. I forget who it was against, and I really should know because I I, I do love that sort of finish. It's an Aguero type finish, I suppose. Uh, but I suppose I was going to hold off on saying that name. Yeah, but he has... make it to a United don't, podcast. I don't want to. I don't want to mention him, and he did it on the other side because he's right, right-footed as well. But yeah. I, I think that sort of like come, yeah, coming onto it and smashing it in the top with his left foot, kind of first, second time. Maybe takes a couple of touches and smashes it. Uh, runs in behind, maybe and smashes it. That's what I want a Hoyland finish to be. 
Um, but yeah, he didn't take enough shots because he didn't get into position to get these shots off enough. And I, I think a lot of people are like, oh, give Hoyland service and our wingers are too selfish. And I think that is true, but I don't think he's always getting in the best position to take shots for himself. Um, I think he maybe needs to be a little bit more selfish and maybe it's something where he's, he's a young player, you know, and he's he, he, he doesn't want to be, you know, getting in position. He wants to be selfless in his movement and he is. And there were times against Newport where he was really selfless in his, in his movement and, and made space in behind for Bruno and Anthony to come onto the ball. Um but I, I do think he just is somebody who needs to show he needs to show himself as much as anyone else what his what his type of finish will be. So I mean, slightly he's got, away he's... from that. Sorry, Rick, slightly away from that train of thought of him being mm. himself. The complete opposite of that is who should he be modelling his game off? If you were to give him a striker to sort of like have as an aspirational target in terms of style, maybe a United striker. Like, who would you say to him? Like, mate, just sort of learn this game and you could become a better player. I feel like you you want me to say Eddie Cavani. Um, maybe a United striker. Uh, I don't want you to say anything, mate. <laughs> I, I do want you, want you to say one player, which I will put forward in a second, but you first, mate. Are you going to say Robin Van Persie? No. No. Who, who this is, this is your Kaki? choice, mate. We'll okay. Well, uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I, 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 I want to say, um, and they're, they're completely different sorts of players because of the way they, they way they, the way that they they operate. But I want to say someone like Robert Lewandowski. Um, I, I think he's a player who is very good at using his body and his technical ability with the ball at his feet. Very underrated when people look at Lewandowski's career. You know, he could manipulate the ball so well and, and beat defenders. I think Hoyland has that in his game, uh, in the box, in tight spaces, and quickly get a shot off. I think Hoyland can do what Lewandowski did in that sort of sign. It's a comparison I've heard nobody talk about, really. And I, you know, why would you? It's one of those guys as a 20 year old who scored eight goals with Manchester United, the other one of the greatest goal scorers of the generation. But I think that sort of manipulation with the ball at his feet and close control, Hoyland can do it. If you can see how Lewandowski did that and brought it into a shot, that's what I want to see him do. Perfect. I was just thinking when you're talking about ball manipulation and Lewandowski there, I was thinking Dortmund versus Madrid, where he did like that a quick quick feet and then smashed it. That was a good yeah. goal. Uh, but the player that I was sort of alluding to was actually United Bagsman, uh, my dad's favourite player. Uh, it's Ruud van Nistelrooy. Sort of more does his work in between the 18-yard box and between the width of the 18-yard box because I feel like Hoyland, although he's a powerful runner down the channels, I feel like the most effective runs that he should be making are runs where he's going towards goal rather than collecting it and running away from goal. Uh, and I think van Nistelrooy has had a lot of that in his game. Uh, not necessarily an out-wide channel runner, but sort of between the half-spaces channel runner, capable of receiving it, and obviously doing his best work within the the, the penalty box. Uh, and I feel like his finishing style, um, Van Nistelrooy, is something that Hoyland can look at and maybe de develop and model his game off as well. So, yeah, I think that's an interesting conversation there uh, about Rasmus Hoyland. Uh, and I think that's an interesting way to sort of wrap up the pod, mate. We've gone through the entire team. We've... Yeah. semi-rated most of the players on the Ten Hag scale, sort of trying to be uh, a teaser into what the Ten Hag scale might bring to these episodes. Uh, yeah, I think, unless you've got anything to add there, mate, I'm happy with how yes. that conversation went. 
Yeah, I think it was really good, mate. And, you know, on the strikers, it's interesting. Like, you know, we had all those potential players you could compare Hoyland to. Like, they, they, they're all so different. Like, all the players that I said I thought you were going to say, the one who I actually went for, which was sort of a last-minute decision, uh, you know, having thought quite a lot about his game. You know, he's certainly not going to be a Karen Benzema-type player, but there's so many different ways which Rasmus Hoyland can can develop as a talent. And that, that's what's really exciting about him, really. You know, he, he's such a multifaceted player. Um, just to wrap up, well, this is more of a general football question. And maybe that's the way we should do it. Maybe we should look at sort of like football down the ages, football in the past. I saw a great tweet earlier on about Falcao and Cavani and, and, and like, you know, the fear of them being forgotten. I think it was United Henry, and we'll give him a shout out. Uh, I followed him on Twitter for a long time and, and he to me. Do you think that strikers in football these days are like, you know, there were so many brilliant strikers that we had in the 2010s and the sort of, you know, 2005 onwards. Do you think we'll ever see so many like absolute like bagsmen, dumbman strikers as we did in that generation with like this world-class talent ever again? I think there's a few coming through at the moment, but are we ever going to get there? You're throwing it in as a question to wrap up the pod, and you've yeah. probably thrown in the most nuanced question of the entire. This could be a, this could be another hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mate. Oh, you've thrown it on me there, but my first initial reaction to that is no, and that's because I think Arsene Wenger said this best, and he said he said this in reference to the number ten position dying out, and he said the way football is going right now, it's such a transition based. Um, transition-based sport, transition-based football match. And the only, well, the main people that that sort of favours are people that can run the channels, whether that's the right wing, the right half space, left half space or left wing. The the transition-based game favours passes into them sorts of positions where wingers are running onto the ball and sort of taking their chances away in that in that regard and less so favouring sort of focal point strikers um, that sort of lead the team from the middle space of the football pitch. So in that regard, with their, what most goals nowadays come from transitions and transitions tend to be, you know, sort of patterns of play that favour wingers and wider footballers. So in that regard, I think we're following the trend that we've seen in the last few years where the wide players tend to be the more prolific ones and uh, the strikers are more the facilitators in attack. Mm, that is a that is a wonderful answer. That is probably the best answer you could have given because it's tactical, you know, it looks at he's a reference from Arsene Wenger, which is brilliant. Um and you've like talked about we talked about these guys, you know, like the most sellers of the world who who are scoring most of the goals and the way, you know, it, 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 you're right. It's the half spaces. It's players rushing onto the ball in the half space. It's that sweeping movement on the counter-attack. You're right. Strikers are facilitators now. And that's why, you know, I guess it's, it's such an interesting one to see where Hoyland develops because he could become a facilitator like that or he could become a pure goal scorer. We'll see what happens. Um, we will see what happens, mate. And we'll I see if anyone that... wants a, if anyone wants a podcast on the strikers, we can go for it. But that should be it, really, yeah. Yeah. Uh, last thing, Klopp's leaving Liverpool. Big one there. <laughs> so hopefully <laughs> next time, this time next year, we're going for a title race. Uh, City down the drain with their 115 charges. But yeah, 
I think this podcast yeah. has done its job. And yeah. See you all thanks later. For listening. Yeah, thanks for listening to The United Cloud. Adios.